You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing as well as you can during this difficult time. I'm thinking about you. My guest today is Murray Bartlett. Murray is an incredible actor, and he's one of the kindest people that I know. He has an outlook on life that I find really inspiring, and I always come away from a conversation with him feeling much more grounded. And I've wanted to have him on the podcast for a very long time, so I'm really glad that this happened. We met about six years ago when he and my husband were filming a TV show together, Looking, on HBO. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Murray is amazing on it. I'm really grateful that he became a close friend to both of us during that time. He recently also appeared on Tales of the City on Netflix, and he was in, I think most recently on stage, was in the revival of M. Butterfly on Broadway a few years ago. He's currently based out of Provincetown most of the time, and this was recorded over FaceTime. I hope you enjoy the 157th episode of The Compass. is what does the dark side look like for you most often when I when I say that what do you think of um well two things I think uh the first being the dark side inside my mind of like insecurities or doubts or you know all that all that good stuff (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and the second I guess is not I guess I know is um being in between jobs and like just sort of navigating through the road of whatever the road is that that um, you work my work takes. Um, so yeah, it's and those they they relate to each other. Um, obviously, they play into each other, um, but sometimes they can exist quite separately. I can be happy in a job. I mean, I can have a great job, but my mind can be doing somersaults of crazy shit. And I can be, on the other hand, I can be feeling super confident and like empowered and everything, but I don't have a fucking job. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, uh, I can, <laughs> and all the, all the variations of that, I guess I can be, you know, not have a job and feel shit or I can <laughs> have a, have a job and feel empowered. So, um, yeah, but I guess they're the two sort of main things that come to mind when I think the, the dark side of being an artist and I don't think of it as I, I definitely think of it as an intense challenging thing and sometimes it's horrible to experience but I don't think of it anymore as a bad thing mm. um, because I've seen how it serves me uh, and how it has and I and I think it's you know, like anything, the dark and the light are, are um, dependent on each other. They don't exist without each other. <laughs> so, uh, and I and maybe that's because I'm getting old, and I I have the benefit of hindsight and seeing how the interplay of that and how I've and also I've had 
some good fortune with work and have been able to have enough work along the way to keep me going. And I think that that, that is partly good fortune and partly um, resilience and um, uh, not willing to give up, but it's certainly a measure of good fortune. Yeah. So when you, when you are in, in between jobs like that and feeling the insecurity and dark stuff at the same time, how do you try to shake it? Um, sometimes, usually every four or five years, I walk away. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that's happened in my life every four or five years. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I, it's, I, it's making me miserable and I, and I don't want to do it. And that has been really helpful. You know, I mean, it's a horrible place to get to in, in a lot of ways. It's a, it is a really dark place. But it then has led me to rediscover why I love what I do. Mm. Um, and it's made me a better actor, I think, um, through that kind of searching and also rediscovering a commitment to it. Um, you know, one example which you probably know is um, I six or seven years ago, I guess. You don't know the beginning part of this story, maybe, but I <laughs> was going through one of those periods which happens semi-regularly through my life of, like, I don't want to act anymore. I don't know why I'm doing this. It's, you know, I can't get a job and I'm miserable. <laughs> totally and, understandable. Sorry? It's totally understandable. It's such a maddening system right? to get to do the thing you want to do. Right, yeah, yeah. And so my, my boyfriend... At the time, um, it, was, it was Egyptian and had an opportunity to um, to go to Egypt for work. Um, coincidentally, it was happening during the revolution, the, the you know Arab Spring, the sort of second wave of the Arab Spring. Um, and we'd also we'd made a, a little short film together, which was one of the things that I did, you know, before I threw my hands up and was like, I, I want to walk away. But we made a short film, which we entered into some festivals in the in the Middle East. Um, so we knew there was a possibility that we might go to some festivals. But basically, I was like, "All right, I'm just going to go with you to Egypt and figure out what I want to do with my life. And maybe we'll write, or maybe we'll, I'll, you know, we can produce stuff together, or whatever." He's a filmmaker. Um, so we went to Egypt during the revolution, and I learned or tried to learn Arabic for four months and we were in a revolution and it just like slapped me across the face like what the fuck are you complaining about like these people are fighting for their freedom and I'm sitting at home being like I can't get an acting job and you know like so and not not to diminish like that that is in my life that is a, a valid thing to feel like I have to figure out you know those challenges in my life but it was a really great reality check and plus, I had this incredible experience of being in a revolution with all these people who were, unfortunately, it didn't end well, but at the time, super passionate and super, you know, committed to their cause. And, and you know, it was, it, it was an amazing time and an amazing experience. And it enriched my life it made me realize how lucky i am it made me want to tell stories it made me 
you know, it informed me about the kind of stories I want to tell and how important it is to tell stories. Um, and then weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, this is usually what happens after a period when I've walked away and thrown my hands up. From Egypt, I auditioned for a job that became one of the best jobs I've ever had that I loved, have loved, you know, one of the best jobs and life experiences that I ever had, which coincidentally was with your husband. Yes. Um, on looking. And, but I did that audition after four months of being in Egypt, you know, in this like little apartment downtown Cairo in front of some weird curtain. Um, <laughs> we put together this shitty audition tape. And, you know, so I, I guess that has often been the way when there's been this dark period it has led me into this phase of self-discovery, asking big questions, rediscovering why I want to do what I want to do, and then leading me out the other side. I mean, it doesn't always, that sort of makes it sound kind of magical, and it's not always like that. But, but in hindsight, in my you know, three decades or whatever it is of, of being an actor or trying to be an actor, that's been the pattern. You know, more or less, that's been the pattern. And so I've, and also with the, the sort of benefit of a long period of time, I've seen the waves of that and the kind of up and down, ebb and flow, roller coaster ride. And so I've come to panic less. Not, not panic <laughs> in between, <laughs> but I've, I've definitely, I definitely see the pattern and I see the value in it. Um, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I wonder, do you, do you, have you ever, after seeing this pattern for so many years, have you ever been like, have you ever manufactured that moment for yourself of like, now's the point where I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna quit, but <laughs> I'm not really, um, I'm half kidding about this question, but. I don't think I haven't manufactured <laughs> it, but it certainly empowered me to make decisions that don't necessarily make sense for my career. And just but trust that, that, that it's going to come right around. For me. Yeah. And it feel right for my life. One of them being recently, as you know, like I decided to move out of the city and, you know, a fair way away. It's still within striking distance of the city, but it's like a six hour drive. And I, because I want, more nature in my life and I realized that's what charges me and I've been living in New York City for 20 years and I almost 20 years and and I as I'm getting older I want to sort of shift what my my sort of everyday life is plus I think I realize now that it really does charge me for doing good work but making that decision has taken me a couple of years and there was a lot of fear in it because I have to tell my agent and like you know right. then I'm not you know in quotes available even though I am and you know these days we do self-tapes a lot so it's like it's definitely a, a thing that's manageable but and my my agent knows this that you know for me it has often worked that when I decide to go traveling or when I decide to walk away that's when I get a job so they're kind of <laughs> with me on that. They're, I mean, that's when I talked to my agent about like moving away to the country, um, that's what he said. Look, you know, this is the way that it works for you. You know, live your life and we'll figure it out. You know, this is... That's amazing. More than anything, <laughs> you know, 
and the pattern we've seen is that when you do that, you get a job. So please move away from the city. <laughs> No, I think that's so amazing that you've been able to follow your intuition with that and be able to be somewhere that fuels you, like you said. How, how is it feeling? Um, I know we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but how are you feeling up there right now dealing with the pandemic? Um, oh, I feel incredibly fortunate um, because, I mean, we're at lockdown here and, you know, we're not socializing. Um, but you know, it's a town of 3000 people, although I think it's swelled to something more than that now because mm. it's a nice place to be during a pandemic. <laughs> so more people have come, but it's still a small town. And so I can go out on the bike trails and, um, you know, ride through the dunes and go to the beach and, you know, um, so that has made it really, I mean, I just feel incredibly, incredibly grateful to be in a place like this and also I guess in connection to what we were just saying about following an instinct to uh, do things that make sense um, I feel amazed that we made the decision to move up here a year ago and um, it feels like a really good decision in, in in every way it was already feeling like a good decision but I, I feel very 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 at this point um, and be able to have some stability in my life and hopefully be able to offer that to the people around me who are not feeling that stability, you know, mm. um, be, a, be, a, be able to lend support. Uh, how, are, how is your creativity doing during this time? Are you kind of just resting and laying low or have you kind of felt inspired with the, the free time to be making yeah, it's odd. I was, you know, when it first started to happen, I, I've been um, working on a screenplay like every other actor for the last, uh, <laughs> for the last, I always feel like such a dickhead saying that. No. Yeah, I'm working on this screenplay, but you know, like it's just. You've been working on screenplays for a long time. <laughs> I have. It just, in my mind, when I hear myself say it, it sounds douchey, but. Well, um, that's how I feel now when I say I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't sound like that when I hear it. I'm like, <laughs> look at you. Like, what is it? Five or six years down the track? Yeah, I think it'll be six years in August. Amazing. Crazy. It's, and it, it's so great. I love it. Um, anyway, I've been working on that for the last six or seven months, I guess. So when this started, the, this looked like the lockdown was coming. I was like, oh, my God, amazing. I, not ama- I mean, not amazing. <laughs> bigger sense. But in right. terms of um, writing, I was like, okay, well, I, now I don't have a choice. And that was when I walked away from my computer and never walked back. <laughs> well, that's um, why I was curious, because I know for me it's been, a, well, one, I'm dealing with being a parent, but right. it's been extremely difficult to kind of take in on, I, I don't think you look at social media that much, but taking in all these creative efforts that people are doing and they're kind of being like, I have all this time here. I'm going to make all these things. And I just have, I've been not feeling that. I'm just like, I'm exhausted. And I'm, you know, I think subconsciously and consciously worried about the world and tired. And I haven't been in that place. So I was just curious. Yeah, I think I've felt the same. I felt the first couple of weeks, I felt, first of all, 
very lucky with with where I am, and you know my my partner is still working, so we're we're incredibly fortunate on many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big picture of what's happening in the world, I just felt the weight of that and concerned concerned and excited because I think that some huge I don't know how we could have continued along the trajectory that we were going um, politically, environmentally, like um, pretty much on most levels. Um, so I, there is part of me that's excited about having to make changes so long as we can all pull together and make sure that those changes happen. Um, but, yeah, I just, it felt like it felt and feels, I'm starting to get used to it, um, but surreal. And like, uh, I mean, it is a major, it's sort of like a huge asteroid hitting the earth in some way. Like it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing that affects us all in such a big way. And I am aware of the suffering and um, the hardship that people are going through. And I, I just, yeah, it's been difficult to disentangle myself from uh, a news cycle of just sort of being aware of what's going on and and hearing about my friends' stories and stuff. So I, and in the first couple of weeks, I felt really guilty about not being productive. Um, And then at some point I was like, you know, I, this is a major turning point in our lives. And we don't know how to deal with this. So you just have to kind of, I feel like for me, I just have to roll with it. And I I've actually have gone back to my script this week and I'm starting to feel really inspired again. But there is something about, there is something about this uh, pandemic that is forcing us to stop. And it's important, I think. For me, it's been important to stop and to reevaluate and to really sort of, look at where we're going and where where we're going individually and collectively and take stock i mean i feel like um nature is slapping us across the face and being like what the fuck are you doing like stop like like this is just not sustainable and there's no reason why we're um, in this position of huge inequality around the world and like fucking the environment and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I think on an individual and collective level, it, it, it is really important to take stock. So that's, that's been my excuse for not writing. <laughs> I think that's just fine. <laughs> I was but starting I, to feel like guilt, like you were saying, like guilt on top of everything else I'm dealing with for not being even more productive and it's like this yeah. isn't a this isn't a, ret- a writer's retreat this is <laughs> a natural disaster yeah um and to be kind to ourselves and it, take care of each other and talk to each other on the phone and make sure that the people in our lives are okay and you know all that good stuff and i also feel like in relation to what we were saying before it is one of those times of stepping back for a second so that you can fill up with what's happening, look at whatever lessons you need to learn, or we could put all you know lessons that we could learn. Um, are we, you know, are our lives taking the directions we want them to take collectively and individually? How can we shift that? Like, what you know, what can we 
shift in a good way? What can we, what positive can we take from this and how can we come out of it better? And then that will inspire us to tell stories, tell new stories, tell like powerful stories. You know, I feel like, um, I remember someone, a, a really amazing teacher I had at acting school saying that, that, you know, sometimes, because I was one of those students at acting school that just, I wanted to get it right. And it, obviously, <laughs> there was just no way to do that. And it really fucked with my head. And, it, and, I, and consequently, I kind of lost any freedom in my work in act, at acting school. That sounds very familiar to me. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this teacher tried to tell me, even though I couldn't hear it at the time, he's like, sometimes you need to you need time to fill up you know you need to like go and walk on the beach or like go and get drunk or at the time i was very young um (laughs) (laughs) uh or whatever you know but you need and you need to have a life and an experience to draw from so that you've got you know stuff to work with as as an artist i think so yeah i'm i'm very curious to see what comes out of this in the long run for storytellers because this in our society that's so based on capitalism, the arts have been so underappreciated in a way. And then now everybody's at home and the things that they're going to are art. And I'm just curious to see as we come out of it, if it's gonna be tried to be pushed back down or if they're gonna be valued in a more substantial way or if there's a different way to structure it. Because it's just, very sad for me to see our community financially try to deal with this because there's so little safety net under even under friends who are in long-running Broadway shows it's like it all it's all built very precariously and without much consideration for the human beings who are doing the work and their longevity and their safety yeah, yeah it's a very odd situation because yeah, you know, I I agree with you. Um, well, it's just a it's just a thing now that people are relying on you know art to sort of get through this period. That's like you know we're just eating through all this kind of content, and um, but at the same time, um, the arts sort of. Uh, community and industry is being decimated (laughs) and you know i know like in australia for example artists like the the whole sort of aid packages and unemployment and everything is excluding artists well that's what i just before this i saw some headline someone posted to instagram about cuomo leaving broadway out of the next aid package or something and i i don't know the details of that yet i hadn't read the article but right it's just insane it is insane, and it's very, it's odd that there's not that sort of, that there's sort of this sort of disconnect that, like, in a way where we've become quite dependent on, you know, particularly film and TV, but any kind mm-hmm. of visual art, any, any art that's successful at this point, it's become such a huge part of all of our lives, or most of, our, most of us, um, but yet there's this sort of disregard <laughs> for the sort of the maintenance of, of that community and right. that industry is really, it's very, uh, except, you know, among, among, the, among artists and the artist community that you see, you know, uh, really wonderful um, 
uh, things popping up to you know to help support artists and stuff and, and people are being very creative you know um, posting their stuff or whatever in a way that they can make a little money and also make us you know help us through this time but it's um, yeah I guess it's just a continuing trend in a lot of countries um, not all countries obviously but um, definitely in the US and, and in Australia I know where I'm from it's uh, this trend that's been happening for quite a long time now in Australia um, of just defunding the arts and it's it's not a priority in any way that's not seen as an integral part of um, society which is so odd because it especially now because it's so obvious that right. it is. <laughs> what, did you feel like that was the way it was when you were coming out of drama school? No. It's really um, it been the sort of ideology of conservative governments in Australia, but we've just been hit by a, an onslaught of conservative governments that have really decimated the entertainment industry there. Um, it's not solely the the you know conservative governments, but it's you know largely that's what's really kind of taken the axe to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean politically we're just like here we're in trouble there, um, and so it's it's a symptom of that. Mm. Um, I just I hope that there's some sort of I don't know the systems are set up in such a way that the people with the money and the power have got such a stronghold it's hard to break through it but uh i just hope that there is a real groundswell of community activism that can change some of these things because um, it's i mean you see it when it when it when we do band together it's incredibly powerful and it makes change <laughs> it just does um but it's it's not easy and it's um yeah it's takes a, a you know we all need to wake up and um make sure that we're active and making that shit happen but there's such an opportunity for that now i mean there's such an opportunity to really i was just reading in terms of you know the the, the uh, fossil fuel industry is being kind of decimated at the moment and mm. i don't want anyone to suffer and i don't you know like but great like let's fucking move away from that shit like it's clear that we can't keep doing that and this is forced you know forced our hand um so let's take it and run with it and i hope that those industries really you know take advantage of that there's there's such incredible potential um at the moment for you know so many sort of great changes in in that way with everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Can we switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, like, when you were coming out of drama school and your decisions to come to the U.S. and kind of how you've made that work? Like, how I, I know you did a big 
tour in Australia. You did Boy From Oz in Australia, but was that right out of school or was that a little bit later? No, that was later. Um, I went back for that. So I came out of drama school and spent a couple of years working. I was such a terrified young actor. It took me a long, long time to not be terrified. Um, (laughs) So then I came to New York um, with the idea that I would stay. Uh, I was like in my early 20s. And then, but I'd met someone about 10 days before I left. So I was in New York (laughs) for three months doing classes. And then I went back to be with him for seven years or six or seven years. Um, And then when our relationship was sort of reaching its end point, um, I came back to New York. Um, so I, you know, I'd worked, um, a lot on stage and a fair amount of TV and a little bit of, of film stuff, but it was in that sort of six or, you know, since I left acting school, um, with a little window of New York in the middle there, um, or in the beginning part, um, but it's a different, whole different uh, landscape in Australia in terms of, you know, you get very few auditions. There's not that much work. It's a small community um, and a small industry. And so um, I was fortunate that I, you know, I got enough work most of the time to make enough of a living to survive. Well, not always. I had other jobs. Um, but... Yeah, it was just, it's a very small industry. And at at the end of my, towards the end of my 20s and at the end of that relationship, I just remember sitting on the beach because I lived near the beach. And it was so beautiful. Bondi Beach, like gorgeous lifestyle. And like, but I was like, well, is this it? Like, I feel kind of like I'm retired um, because (laughs) I work every now and then and, but I'm not pushed and I, so I decided to, you know, give New York a shot again, and I signed up for classes at um, Atlantic Theatre Company, and um, and I also signed up for this like intensive Shakespeare um, course upstate New York. Um, so I came to New York, sort of, to get inspired. I didn't come thinking that I would move to New York, um, but uh, got to New York and just fell in love with the city all over again and did the the course at Atlantic, which I loved partly also because there was something about, you know, I'd come out of acting school in Australia, terrified and kind of, um, made this mark, small mark, but like I, you know, been seen by casting people and whatever as this type of person and type of actor, which at the end of my twenties, I wasn't anymore. I wasn't as terrified and I wanted to like, I felt like I was someone else, but I felt like I was in this box of who I was when I, the frightened kid had come out of acting school. So coming to New York, I was like, oh, and doing classes at Atlantic Theatre Company, which I loved, but there were some teachers that weren't my cup of tea. So I was like, oh, and I don't have to like take what they say as like the truth. And I, can, I just felt <laughs> like empowered to be who I was in that moment rather than carrying all this baggage that I felt that I had in Australia. So I fell in love with New York, cancelled the Shakespeare course upstate because I wanted to stay in New York longer so I could use that money. Um, stayed for like six or seven months was bartending and ended up like at the end of that seven months or whatever it was, you know, 
working five nights a week till five in the morning thinking, what the fuck am I doing? I came here to try and be an actor. And, um, and then I was going to Naked Angels. You know Naked Angels? Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, this thing, I think it was every Wednesday night where writers would have, you know, a bunch of people would go along and writers would pick actors to read the work that they were working on. And Kenneth Lonergan was there, who was my hero. And, you know, mm. um, and I met people there. Um, I met this guy uh, who was friends with this woman who was best friends with one of the producers of Sex and the City. And at the time they were looking for um, a non-American and were having trouble casting this role. So he suggested me to her and she suggested me to the producer and then I got called in like the next day and then a couple of days later was reading in a room with Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> and they sponsored me for a, um, you know, a, a limited visa and I had my first job in, in the US, which was oh my just God. Like, surreal and, um, and wonderful. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the beginning. And then there was a number of years of trying to get a better visa and then get a better. So I spent a few years not working much because I couldn't. Um, well, that was, my, that was my other question, like the technical side of it. Because I know there's quite a few people who come here for drama school and then they're kind of stuck after they graduate because they're not, they're not allowed to do side jobs. Like if they're here on an artist visa, they're only allowed to work as an actor, things like that. It, what was that? Yeah. It took, it took a long time to work that out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had this uh, O-1 visa for, for Sex and the City, this first job that I had. Plus, but I that, love that I somehow got you to talk about Sex and the City without having to ask you about it, which makes me very, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, My personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, well, I got the visa for that job, which I came back. I went home. Um, this was like 2001, so I, I went home in August before um, 9-11, um, weirdly, and I was wow. going to come back, you know, sometime in September, but I ended up staying till January, so that was a freaky time. And then I came back to the U.S. early the next year, 2002, when the episode of Sex and the City was airing, because I thought that might be a good time to be back, and um, it was a very surreal time to come back, obviously, but... Um, mm -hmm. Then I got an agent um, out of that, which was really amazing and kind of, you know, strange just because navigating through that is also kind of a weird thing, I think, <laughs> trying to figure out who you have a relationship with and what, all the things that people tell you about, you know, which agent's good and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was very fortunate to get an agent who I'm still with. Um, oh, wow. And... Um, then that visa expired, so I applied for another visa, which was much more limited. Um, so for the next couple of years on that visa, I would audition, but then when I'd get to the end of the audition process, the whoever was possibly going to employ me or not um, would have to sponsor me to like bump up my visa to the next level, and that was just that just proved impossible. Or maybe I was just doing bad auditions, <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was problematic. No, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are some people who, unfortunately, just don't want the extra paperwork or whatever. Yeah, and you know what it's like. I mean, the job is going to start the next day. So right. and, you know, with those you know visas, it takes a couple of weeks to make it happen and all that kind of stuff. 
I was just lucky with Sex and the City that the director of my, the episode that I was in was English and they were putting through his paperwork, so they just put my paperwork through with him, wow. with his, which was amazing. Um, so, yeah, then I, um, I got on to another... Uh, I renewed that visa and then found this lawyer who was like, I can get you the visa you need, blah, 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 blah. Um, two weeks before he was meant to be getting me that visa and my previous visa was expiring, he was like, actually, I can't. So I had to go back to Australia. Oh, my God. basically kicked out of the country. Um, I went back, was miserable because I didn't want to be there. Um, and then got this job on this, like, really bad TV series, um, which actually never went to air, but it was, um, it was a contract for nine months and this was like November, I think. Um, and so I worked on it for a month, had some friends in the show, which was great. It was the saving grace because the show was not good. Um, and then we went on hiatus in January. At the end of January, I got a, a, um, phone call from my, lawyer i'd finagled this like fake not fake but sort of semi-fake um deal memo for with a friend who was making a film which we actually ended up making years later um because that was the piece that i needed that my lawyer said i didn't need but um i got that together at the end of january he called me and said you've got your visa so i could come back to the u.s on the same day i got a call from my agent saying the show got cancelled but we got you this great contract where they have to pay you out for the nine months <laughs> amazing so i ended up i rented this place at the beach my boyfriend at the time had come over to australia we were gonna like spend a month together and then i was gonna go back to work but we stayed there um <laughs> spent a couple of months on the beach together during that time i auditioned for the boy from oz that you were talking about that, okay that tour and so then i auditioned i got the job we came back to New York for a few months. I um, furiously did singing lessons. <laughs> um, and then I went back at the end of that year and did the tour of The Boy From Oz. How um, long was the tour? Four months um, around Australia, which was, it was a really wonderful experience. But that, you know, that was another time in my life, as we were talking about before, where this was forced on me, but I had to step away. And I was like, what the fuck now? What, what is my life going to be? And there was a couple of months there when I was, you know, I didn't want to be living in Australia. I started to build my life. I had a relationship in, in New York. I had, you know, my life was here. But it evolved into this incredible year that was just amazing and, and gave birth to all these, you know, opportunities, life opportunities and work opportunities that I never could have imagined and never would have happened hmm. if I hadn't, if, you know, I hadn't been ripped out of my life. Um, so, um, yeah, and then I came back after the tour and I got offered a role in a soap opera, which I was really reluctant to do because I had never watched soap operas and I had a real sort of chip on my shoulder about what that meant. <laughs> uh, you know, what that, what right. that, how that sort of looked for me as an actor. Um, but I instinctively, having gone through this whole period of being ripped out of my comfort zone and, and seeing how that was 
animating, um, it brought amazing things into my life that previous year of having to leave the US and um, then these opportunities springing up. I was in that mindset. I was like, you know, instinctively this feels like the right thing, partly because when I took that contract with the soap opera, which was just for a year, it allowed me to apply for my green card because I I could use that. I had a contract that was a solid thing that was the kind of basically the linchpin of my green card application. So it was, yeah. uh, So that was, and then, yeah, then I got my green card. Yeah. What a road. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm always Uh, curious in the way that location influences people as artists, like where they, like, like where you are now in Provincetown and like the places people choose to be. Um, it's just interesting that these two poles in your life are so far from each other and having to deal with going back and forth. And it's not like you can just, even like LA, New York seems like an easy trip compared to Australia, New York. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, and I think, I guess it's the theme in my life perhaps of, I feel at home in Australia and I feel at home in nature. So I decided to live in New York. <laughs> you know, there's something about pushing myself into the opposite extreme, um, which I'm now starting to pull back on and be like, actually, I feel really comfortable in nature. That's um, so, so interesting. I can balance this out. It doesn't have to be as extreme as I thought it was. I well, can... there's a pressure for actors where it's like, you, oh, you just have to live in New York or L.A., which I, right. I, I know is not 100% true, but that's what it seems like. Well, I think also, you know, when I first moved to New York um, in the early 2000s, like, you kind of did have to be in the city because audition, there wasn't self-taping. Like, we just didn't do that. Depending And, you know, with theatre, obviously, you have to be there. I sort of, a lot of my auditions are for, for TV and, for, well, yeah, mostly TV, some film. But um, so with that, you can, I think, and maybe even more now after this pandemic and the sort of lockdown, I think we'll probably be auditioning even more on tape, which suits me. I love auditioning on tape. And, uh, and in recent years, actually, I was thinking... Perhaps I could spend a couple of uh, months of the year in Australia and, you know, audition from there because uh, it doesn't really matter where you are. Um, but it's still, you know, it's it's a long way if you have to come back quickly. And, yeah, somebody's like, come to the producer session. <laughs> like, are you sure? Like, How uh, interested are you in me? What's the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is this plane ticket? That is like a $2,500 ticket. So. <laughs> Give me a percentage of how close I am to this role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, how, how is it to be so far from your family? How have you guys kind of dealt with that? Um, I mean, I don't love it. <laughs> um, the reality is, you know, my, the family that I'm closest uh, to, my brother and his family and my mom, they live in Western Australia. My mum lives in a small town in Southwest Australia. My brother lives in a smallish town in the very north of Western Australia. I wouldn't be living there. I'd be living on the East Coast, which is, you know, right. five hours away by plane. So I, I may see them a little more, but I probably wouldn't see them that much more anyway if I was living in Australia because I'd okay. be living in Sydney or Melbourne. Um, 
So I remind myself of that when I'm really missing them. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, you know, I have two nephews and I haven't seen a lot of them. And that is not something that I like. <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, I adore my family and I love spending time with them. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a weird thing which I struggle with sometimes. And as I've gotten older, I've, you know, I've really, I go home every year for six weeks um, and try and spend a good chunk of time with my family. Um, but I uh, definitely, it was one of the reasons why, before we kind of found where we are now, um, I was thinking of trying to be there for a few months of the year just so that I could spend more time with them or be closer with them. But mm. it's, uh, it's difficult not having... I kind of, I mean, I guess it depends whether you're close with your family, but I am, I do have very strong relationships with my core family. And so um, it's difficult to be away from that. And that was a real challenge coming to New York in the beginning. I mean, it was sort of eclipsed by the excitement of being in New York and all the things that, you know, came with that. But um, then there were times where I just felt very lonely and I was fortunate, actually, that a couple of friends, my friends from school, one woman who I went to primary school with and one woman who I met during high school, who incidentally went to high school together, but we'd never, the three of us, come together um, until we all found ourselves living in New York. So I did have a couple of people who I had a long history with um, who were living in the city, so that was helpful. But, yeah, moving countries is huge. Just like, you know, you don't have a support, you have to build a support network. And like I was saying before, it was very freeing on one level because I'm like, oh, I can just shake off all this baggage I've been carrying right. about who I am and, and who, you know, people sort of identify me as because people are just seeing me in the moment. But on the other hand, yeah, people are seeing me in the moment. They don't, I don't have any history with these people. So, and I don't know whether they're going to be long-term friends or whether they, I can trust them or whether they really care about me. So it's this weird, weird sort of double-edged uh, thing that's very exciting and invigorating. And I'd always seen when I was living in Australia before I moved, I'd, I would see people who had lived out of Australia for a chunk of their life and there was just something different about them that I wanted to experience. I was like, oh, these people have got something that, is less sheltered and more sort of evolved or something. Um, not always, but, but the, you know, there's just, this. it does something to you. Um, I mean, you know that even yeah. just, you know, moving from one state to another or from, you know, if you're from the Midwest or whatever and coming to a place like New York, like it, yeah. it, it changes you. It forces you to grow. It forces you to kind of, it tests your resilience. <laughs> um <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a terrifying and wonderful thing. <laughs> That's something I've been, it's been in the back of my mind this whole time during this shelter in place is just how much I miss traveling and how, how much I want to be doing that right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've been yeah. watching, we started watching the first episode of that new HBO show Run. Oh yeah, Peter. me too. And it, it, you know, it like takes place on a train. You're just like, when am I going to get to be 
in that place again where you know, know. In, in between two places and on the move yeah. and something um, I look forward to returning to hopefully well my boyfriend is a tech head and he just bought a virtual reality headset oh my god <laughs> so we've been going to the moon and um, the antarctica and See, really blowing my mind oh my it's god like out of control apart from and also this thing called like beat saber i think where you have these like you know um light swords and you're like beating away boxes and things it's very very therapeutic you did not mention that this was one of the things you were using to get through this time i should have said virtual reality just escape smoke literally and go into virtual reality amazing um can we talk about looking a little bit yeah from everything i've heard from all of you i'm i have never done a tv show but by all accounts, this was a very special situation and a special group of people and was the best of all worlds um, set up as far as people collaborating and working together. Yeah. Um, and I know it didn't last as long as all of you were hoping it would. You guys ended up with two seasons in a movie. Um, but w- what were some of the big things that you took away with you from that experience? Like any big lessons or... Yeah, that that work can be absolutely joyful <laughs> <laughs> on, like, pretty much every level. I mean, I'd never had an experience. I mean, yeah, I'd never had an experience like that. I had had really wonderful work experiences for sure, but there was just – there was something magical about that, um, and it was – it came from Andrew Haig and Michael Lennon assembling, bringing together a group of people that were just wonderful people, you know, and creating an atmosphere of support and um, joy and, like, common purpose. And um, and also, you know, we were in San Francisco, which is a beautiful <laughs> city, and we were fortunate to be able to shoot there. You know, a lot of shows that shoot that are set in San Francisco don't get to shoot there, but the city really opened its arms to us. And it was, you know, it was just the aligning of so many things. It was a show about these gay characters in a city that was sort of been the, the champion or a champion of gay culture, and there's so much history there um, uh, in terms of... Um, gay rights and and gay culture um it's a beautiful city we were on location most of the time like so exploring the city um we became best friends we were playing you know the the sort of core cast were friends and we became great friends and they but there was also you know they fostered that i mean frankie and jonathan and i you remember, you know, we went to San Francisco 10 days, I think, before we started shooting the pilot. And we were doing some rehearsal and stuff, but a lot of the time we were just hanging out and getting to know each other. And it was beautifully cast by Carmen Cuba and, and, and Michael and Andrew in that it wasn't just about... It was, it was aligning personalities who fit the characters and were going to bring specific, you know, things that they felt worked for the characters, I guess. But also you know, um, that were 
harmonious and we just adored each other. So it, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, there are lots of, you know, concrete things that made it really beautiful. Like it was in San Francisco. It was, you know, a show that we all felt passionate about. All of a lot of us or most of us, all of us, but in the end had seen Andrew Haig's film um, Weekend and loved it. And just, um, you know, it was just this, you know, there was all that, all that, all that great stuff. But I guess there was just some magical element. Of, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to explain. It was just a coming together of things that was definitely curated and and um, on purpose by those sort of key creative people. Um, but maybe there was some extra magic that came with it. I don't. I don't know. It was just. It was such a revelation i think to all of us certainly to me that it, that uh, an experience could be so joyful do you feel like like when you've worked on sets after that experience that you've been able to how do i want to say this i don't know i don't know how i want to ask that question what can i can i jump in yeah um it's made me want to create that kind of situation. So I've gone into, you know what it's, I mean, it's, it's weird when you're a, a you know, a guest player on a show. And right. Often it can be quite uncomfortable and it's like, it's not your not territory. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not that people even are on purpose, not welcoming, although there are some cases where people are not, <laughs> but it's just people are in their rhythm. They have their like friends and whatever. So you're the outsider. Um, so there's been, you know, in those situations, I just try and go in with the looking mindset of like, I belong here. I love being here. I love all of you people. <laughs> and I'm just going to have a great time. And it doesn't always work, but I go in with that. It's given me kind of a touchstone of what it can be. So mm -hmm. I go in with the intention of creating that. And, you know, I've also had experience of being on a show where, I wasn't aware at first that people weren't having a great time. I eventually became aware of it, but I had an amazing time because <laughs> I just was like, this is the experience I want to have. And there may be some shitty things going on or whatever, but I'm just going to like love it. I'm going to love, it. you know, and I, I, and I think that's also the thing of you not, not being a, an artist that's constantly in work. When you're like, when I'm in work, I'm like, I am working. <laughs> And it's, and it's interesting, actually, there are some actors who are constantly in work who don't have that perspective. And you can see it sometimes mm -hmm. because they, and it's not necessarily, you know, their fault, it's no fault in their personality or anything, but they just don't have the contrast of not being in work. So they, and maybe rightly so, you know, I, they, they um, react to, to certain things that are happening or whatever that I don't react to. And what I've realized is that there is a double edge to that. I've learned from people who do that, who are like, actually, we, we deserve more. Whereas I have often been in the situation where it's like, oh, you know, like, I'm just here. Like, right. you know, I, give that, me that is you tricky. Give me. <laughs> but at the same time, there's, there is a way to have the balance of standing up for what's important, you know, in terms of um, 
the way that we should be treated and the way that everybody should be treated on a set, but also being grateful for being there and, you know, being thankful and just having that, you know, having that sort of healthy perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, since looking and then Tales of the City that you did recently were both Mm. like big shows for the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And I know that there was, you know, there's always an... When, when a community isn't represented enough, I know there was a lot of pressure for these shows to kind of represent everything all at once since it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance in either of those situations to like influence the storylines or have a voice in how the story was being told? Um, I mean, I'm also, I'm always very mindful of like trusting the writers and the creatives to take the lead in that and trying not to step on toes. But um, particularly looking, I think there was a real openness to discussing things and like giving input into what was happening. Um, I guess I see my role in that is to just to do that through the character and the situations that I have Mm -hmm. um, as a, as a character. Um, I guess I probably didn't ask that question very clearly. I'm kind of smushing two things together. I'm curious if you, if you were able to influence those, those stories, if you know, if you ever saw a way that you weren't, necessarily happy with this way the story was being told and you could help change it and then the the thing about the community's response is kind of a separate thing that's kind of after the show has come out Mm. was it interesting for you to see how people responded right yeah um i guess to the first point yeah i guess it wasn't it, it i wasn't really in the position to influence what was the, the stories and what um, the way the direction that the stories were going or the specific things that were tackled um, mm-hmm. outside of you know the, the choices that I made in those scenes or as a character um, yeah that was just not my role in either of those shows mm-hmm. um, that's not to say that there weren't conversations about the issues and like and maybe my input was taken on board um, but it, yeah it certainly wasn't my role. Um, I would like to be in that role um, at some point. Yeah. More, but um, yeah, that wasn't really my experience. Uh, I was just curious. In those shows, there was—I mean, there was definitely an openness in those shows. For I, I guess maybe that's on me to you know to be a bit more outspoken about what I, the way I think the story should go. I, I guess I, I feel like sometimes it's hard to have a, a big picture when you're one piece in a in a show and you're not seeing what it, what's going on in all the other storylines and stuff. So That's I, true. <laughs> there's a, a huge sort of trust that I have in the people that are making the show to keep an eye on that. Cause it's, I'm just trying to get my bit, um, keep my bit in line. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I would love to be part of the crew that is looking at the big picture at some point. Um, in terms of the audience response. Yeah. I think with, you know, with looking, it was it was interesting because it was such a joyful experience to do that show, and I think we were, I know we were all a bit shocked at some of the reactions to the show because we had the best intentions and we were trying to make something really wonderful and we were having such a great time doing it, and I was certainly unprepared for some of the you know responses to the show, the negative responses to the show, um, but. It, 
also, you know, it was a great education in the fact that, yeah, there was like, particularly at that time, very little representation of the LGBTQ community. And so people are just hungry to be represented. And when they, they don't see themselves or they don't like the way that they're portrayed or, the, the, you know, don't feel like they're portrayed, um, I, you know, I, I get that. Like, that makes sense. Um, as a group of people trying to put something good out into the world and doing it with so much joy and commitment, it was difficult to hear some of those things because you can never make everybody happy and you can never... And it was never the intention of that show to represent the entire LGBT community. Like, it, that was just in a half-hour show. It's virtually impossible to do that. It was about these, you know, these particular characters. So um, I think it would have been a mistake to try and do... Uh, do that although huge efforts were made to try and be as inclusive as possible but it was you know it was a show about these particular characters so um, I think it was there was a reluctance to try and just go into general sort of right. issues and try and cover too much in a half hour show um, but yeah it's uh, it's always very odd I mean, you know what, it's the same doing theatre, it's the same doing anything. Like, you don't really know what's going to happen when you put it out in the world. You don't know what the response is going to be. And um... That just is so strange, though, with TV that it's so separate. Like, with theatre, at least you're in the room with the audience and you all leave at the same time and you can kind of feel the reaction. And then with right. TV, yeah. like, yeah, like you said, you guys did it months before anyone else saw it. And then they're having yeah. an experience separate from your experience of making it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, you know, like, like a play or a TV or film, whatever, you can't be obsessed with the response. Obviously you want people to receive it in a way that it's somehow, you know, is gives them something meaningful or uplifts them or entertains them or whatever. Um, but you've got no control over that. So to a certain extent, you've got to, You've got to be mindful of it, but not be obsessed by it. Um, I do know that, you know, with a show like Looking and Tales of the City, we get responses from people in parts of the world that don't have the freedoms that we have, who are incredibly moved and thankful and, you know, um, mm. uh, changed by those shows because there's just not the visibility or the the sort of the um even the sort of conception that there could be a life of freedom you know uh or a, a different way of being that's not sort of oppressed or scared or whatever as part of the lgbtq community so that you know there there was you know a lot of um criticisms of looking and tales of the city i think i i don't I didn't look at any of the stuff at Tales of the City because I've learned that lesson. It's better not to look. Um, but there was, you know, those those shows are important shows, I think. Um, any show that kind of tries to truthfully, meaningfully represent a, a, a minority community or an oppressed community has a place Um and it's, it is one of the things that I learned also with some pushback about um, looking at, 
which I which could be quite hurtful. Where I was like, well, you know, I get it, and we should be critical, and we should want more, and we should ask for more, and push for, you know, um, push for more in terms of representation and the way that we're represented. Also, we should be lifting each other up and like celebrating the times when we do get a voice, and really like definitely pushing for more, but like in the kind of the zone of okay so we've taken a step it was a shaky step but (laughs) we took a step let's keep going you know what i mean and there was in this sort of internet age there is a a real sort of tendency to just trash things (laughs) and like pull each other down and so it did really made me check and in those sort of tendencies of myself and be like you know when people are brave enough to stand up and like speak mm-hmm. out and like have their voice heard firstly i want to applaud them for that for that and really like take note of that and then you know be critical and like see how it could be better and whatever yeah. well as president of the looking fan club i, <laughs> I, I miss it deeply <laughs> um well we've been talking for a long time there's yeah. there's two small questions that i always ask at the end if you are in one of those kind of dark, uninspired places, are there any tangible things that you reach for again and again, like a book or um, a place you go or music you listen to, something like that? I meditate. I meditate every day. Um, I started meditating when I was a teenager. Um, got a bit sort of not culty, but like I was really like into it in a quite a rigid way. And then I stopped meditating regularly for many years until I kind of found a meditation that fit with me. And now I do it every day for like 45 minutes to an hour. And it's transformative for me. I just, it's, it resets me. It keeps me in line with the things that I want to be focusing on. It's, it grounds me. It um, gets rid of the bullshit noise that's in my head it um, vanquishes you know doubts and and fears even if only a little bit but it's um it's huge that and being in nature which is why why i've moved to nature i feel like you know being in an environment that feels bigger or feeds you in some way whatever that is for me it's being in nature especially um, near the ocean Um, those are my two touchstones and then is there anything of any art form that you've seen recently that you want to recommend? Virtual reality. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, at this point, it's quite expensive. And if my you know, partner wasn't a tech head, we wouldn't have a virtual, virtual reality headset. But um, he was willing to fork out for it because that's sort of his area of interest. But... Um, there's now virtual reality um, sort of sections in film festivals, and I watched uh, one just recently um, oh, wow. that went went to Berlin, and um, and it's beautiful. It's beautifully made. It's it's um, I think it's called the Key, um, and it's got a wonderful actress in it who narrates it, whose name I can't remember, which is really annoying. Um, but she's wonderful, um, and it's. It turns out it takes you on this incredible kind of journey, and it's this beautiful sort of fairy tale story, and the visuals are gorgeous. Um, 
And but it turns out it's about refugees and it's about this refugee's dream and then it lands you in this kind of place of reality at the end and it's powerful and beautiful and immersive. And I I never I thought of, you know, virtual reality as like video games and like, you know, going mm-hmm. to the Antarctica, but this is it's a really beautiful art form that I you know, in a, a sort of a narrative film kind of way format that I hadn't been aware of, and um, yeah, it really blew my mind. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Great. Thank that you was so really much. Lovely talking to you. Thank you, and uh, thanks for having this beautiful platform for people to talk about the ups and downs and ins and outs of being honest. conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.